we are going to be continuing in 1 Timothy, looking at chapter 1, verse 8 through 11. So if you have a Bible, open to 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. It should be on the screen, and I'll read here. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So we are continuing our study through this book, this letter of 1 Timothy that was given to Timothy as he pastored the church in Ephesus. But before we get into the text and unpack it, I want to say a word to our parents with children here tonight. Children, we are so thankful that you are here. Every single one of you. COVID has taught us never to take our children for granted. And parents, I know that you will probably only catch about one half of what I say. I know this because for the last two weeks, I've sat back there with my four-year-old on my lap, and I don't know if John's sermons were good or not, because I only caught about half of what he was saying. And I know it can feel discouraging. At this time in the sermon, the kids are sitting great. Ten minutes from now, they may not be sitting as great. You've gone through all the work after a long day. Right? It's in the evening, dinner time. You've had a long day of school, a long day of work. You've gone through the effort to get your kids dressed and in the car and into this very medically sterile environment, only to have them sit and squirm during a sermon, and you're wondering, why was it even worth it? And what I want to encourage you with is, even if that's your experience tonight, it is worth it. It is worth it because, one, God is pleased with you. God loves children. He loves it when children sit under his word whether that's at the dinner time, at the dinner table, whether that's in church. And the fact that you are bringing your children here shows that you value that. And so God is pleased with you. Your children also are picking up things that you probably don't even know. And yet they will remember this. They will remember that my parents prioritize worship. My parents prioritize the people of God. And even if you are not able to listen to what's going on up here, the angels are watching in, and I believe that they are rejoicing. And I am rejoicing. And so as I look out and I see moms and dads wrangling kids, just know I am not burdened at all. My heart is overflowing with joy. Because it has been over a year since we've been able to have our kids with us. We've had the privilege of having them with us these last few weeks. And we are delighted that they are here. Okay. With that said, let's jump in to 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. So Pastor John last week showed us the difference in 1 Timothy between false teaching 
and true teaching. Right? In Ephesus, where Timothy is pastoring, there's people who are teaching false doctrine. And they're using their Old Testaments, the law, to get there. So they're taking the law and they're twisting it, not to build up the church, as the Word of God preached is supposed to do, but instead to build up themselves, to promote speculation and to draw attention to themselves. And as they are doing that, people are not being helped. And it bears fruit in their lives. False teachers lead to false living. As Paul puts it, they desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So we have false teachers in the church who are twisting the law. That's the context for this passage. In this chapter, we're going to look at the purpose of the law. So if these guys are twisting the law, we should look and say, okay, what is the law all about? Paul's going to demonstrate its proper function. And here's the main point that we're going to see. The main point that we're going to see tonight is that the law is given to drive us to the gospel. And the gospel is given to empower us to fulfill the law. The law is given to drive us to the gospel. And the gospel is given to enable us to fulfill the law. To see this, we're going to look at two points. First, we're going to look at the nature of the law. That'll be primarily in verses 8 through 10. And then we're going to look at the stewardship of the gospel. The nature of the law, the stewardship of the gospel. So first, let's look at the nature of the law. When Paul uses the word law, he's writing about the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. The one that God gave the people of Israel after they left the Exodus. Some of our kids probably know this story where they're walking through the Red Sea. The waters are parting. The people of Israel come out on the other side, and God gives them his holy law. This law is summarized in the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, found in Exodus 20. So when Paul says the law, that's what he's referring to. Now listen to what he says about the law. He says this, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul here is showing us the nature of the law. And there's a number of things that we can learn about the law from this passage. The first is that the law is good. That's what Paul says right away. God's law is a good thing. Those of us who have been reading our New Testaments can know that in the New Testament, Jesus and the writers of the epistles can sometimes say hard things about people who are trying to establish their own righteousness under the law. And we can hear that and we can think, oh, okay, law equals bad. Gospel equals good. But that's not right. Paul says right away that the law is good. In Romans 7, which we're going to go to later in the sermon, Paul's even going to say that the law is 
holy, righteous, and good. God's law is a good thing, but the law can be misused. God's law is a good thing, but it can be misused if one uses it lawfully. What that means here is that one can use the law unlawfully, to use it outside of its intended purpose. And this is a bad thing. This is why Jesus speaks so critically of the Pharisees. The Pharisees weren't using the law in the way it was supposed to be used. The Pharisees were using the law in order to draw attention to themselves, to make sure that everyone knew that I say the longest prayers, I have the longest robes, I give the most amount of money. Paul goes after the Judaizers in the book of Galatians to be able to say, you cannot undermine the gospel by trying to put people back under the law. The fault, though, was not with the law. The fault was not with the law. It was with misusing the law. And this is a really important principle. If we're going to read our Bibles in a mature way, we need to be able to understand the principle that just because something can be misused doesn't mean we shouldn't use it the right way. Another way you could say it is misuse should not necessarily lead to disuse. Misuse should not lead to disuse. Some of you have come from backgrounds that are just incredibly legalistic. Right? So everything in your background was all law, all the time. You wake up in the morning, rules. You go to school, rules. You go to lunch, rules, 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 rules. And it feels oppressive. You're, you're told that you have to go to church this many times if you want to be a real Christian. Those other Christians, nah. But the real Christians do this. Or you have to give this amount of money if you're going to be a real Christian. You can't watch those movies. You can't listen to that music. You can't dress this way or wear your hair that way. Real Christians do all the right things. They, they make sure they're not like those other people. They check all the boxes. It's oppressive. It's oppressive because all law and no grace. And so you grow up, and you've grown up in this environment. You, you grow up, or maybe you come to the UAE, which is different than your home country, and you say, I am not going back under that. Some of you kids are probably this way. You look at your parents, and you're like, man, when I'm an adult, I'm eating chocolate every day for dinner. There will not be a day that goes by when I don't have chocolate. You grow up, and you say, I'm never going back to that. I'm going to watch whatever movies I want. I'm going to listen to whatever, movie, whatever music I want. When I feel like going to church, I'll go to church. If I feel like going to Dubai on the weekend, I'll go to Dubai on the weekend. I am not living under law. I am living under grace. And when you hear people say, you know, Christians actually can't do that, you start to bristle. And you start to say, well, don't bring that law to me. That's legalistic. You're, you're trying to put me back under the law. But if that's the way that you respond to commands in the Bible, then what's happened is you've fallen under the temptation of having, dis, having misuse lead to disuse. See, rules can be used in a terrible way. 
But that doesn't mean we don't need rules as human beings. Right? There are terrible churches out there, churches that are abusive, churches that are all about power. That doesn't mean that we give up on the church, though. Right? There are parents who have been terrible parents. That doesn't mean that we don't need parents. The problem is not with rules. The problem is with the way in which rules are used. These teachers in Ephesus were taking the law that was to be used in a certain way and were twisting it, using it for their own glory. And they were mishandling it. The problem wasn't with the law. The problem was with them. So the law is good, but the law can be misused. What's the proper way to use the law? That's our third point here. The law is for sinners. Sinners. We've, we've, we've heard this a number of times. Just listen again to what Paul says here. The law is not laid down for the just. Literally, it's not laid down for the righteous. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Paul here says the law, the law is not given for the righteous or for the just. The law is given for sinners. And he lists 13 descriptions of who the law is laid down for. Where you read this and you think, oh, the law is for the unrighteous. And different commentators have different ways of trying to understand how these sins relate together. Basically, they are a summary of the law. They're a summary of the commandments given in the law. And they're a summary of applications of those commandments in the rest of the law. What Paul's doing here is he is showing out these are the sins in which the law was given for. One takeaway I think we should have as Christians, and we're reading this list, we look at it, one takeaway we should have is that we human beings, we're not the ones who define what is lawful and what is unlawful. God is the one who defines what is lawful and what is unlawful. Throughout history and cultures, there have been different practices that are either condoned or that are condemned. There have been times when human beings would have looked at enslaving other human beings and would say, not a problem. That's, that's, not, that's not lawless because of this reason, this reason, and this reason. There are cultures right now where lying is not seen as a wrong thing. As long as it saves honor, as long as it preserves face, it's not, it's not wrong to tell a lie. There's times when, in cultures today, where homosexual practice or sexual immorality or disrespecting our parents is not only condoned, but it's celebrated. We have whole movies that are celebrating these actions. But history and culture shouldn't shape what our understanding of lawful or unlawful is. The scriptures must be our standard. That's one of the reasons why we should read and understand this book, is be able to have confidence that we can speak to our friends and we can look at ourselves 
and be able to see, are we living in a way that is in line with what God calls us to? The scriptures are understanding for what is morally acceptable and what is sinful. Paul says that the law is laid down for the unrighteous. But what does he mean by this? I think in one sense, what he's saying is, look, people who are inherently good, who are inherently righteous, they don't need rules to prevent them from doing bad things. They don't need consequences to keep them from doing bad things. Sinners do. In this way, the law is laid down in order to restrain sin. And that's the way that most laws work in the world. I mean, can you imagine driving in the UAE if there were no road rules? I can't tell you how many times someone would be flashing their lights behind me because I'm not going fast enough for them. We have laws to be able to say, look, you can't drive 160 through town center. You can only drive 80. Laws restrain sin and selfishness. And that's, I think, Paul has that partly in mind. But I don't think that's the main thing that Paul has in mind. I think the main reason that Paul says the law is laid down for sinners is what we're going to see in our second point. And that is the stewardship of the gospel. The stewardship of the gospel. In verse 4, we saw this last week, Paul critiques the way that certain people in Ephesus were mishandling the law. Paul says they're charged to not devote themselves to myths and endless speculations and genealogies, which provoke speculation, sorry, rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. They're misusing the law, and they're doing so They are failing as stewards, as people who have been entrusted with a message. They're not doing it in accordance with the stewardship that is from God by faith. They're failing to steward the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus came and lived a perfect life under the law. That he fulfilled the law through his obedience. That he died in the place of sinners and that he triumphed over the grave through resurrection. These teachers are missing that. But the problem is not the law, it's their misuse of the law. We see this clearly in verse 11. In verse 11, look at this here. So we have all this list of commands, and they are in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted Paul has been entrusted as a steward of the gospel. He has a role to minister the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ faithfully. And that doesn't mean that he throws away the law, but rather that he rightly uses it. It's not contrary to the gospel, the law isn't, but the law is in accordance with the gospel. It fits with the gospel. And I think that shows us, that helps us to see the primary way that Paul talks about the law here. How is the law in accordance with the stewardship of the gospel? Well, we see this in two ways. First, the law is given to drive us to the gospel. I said at the beginning of the sermon, the law is given to drive us to the gospel. In this way, the law shows us how sinful we are. Some theologians have used it like a mirror, right? You look in the mirror, you see what you really look like. Most of us wake up in the morning, we look in the mirror, and we don't think, hey, they're good looking. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we think, ah, I need to do something about that. 
The law, when we look at it, we see ourselves and we see who we really are. We see who God really is. And we're challenged by this. We see it at work in Romans 7. In in Romans 7, Paul is arguing for the glory of being set free from the law. But he corrects the temptation to say, we don't need the law then, or that the law is bad. He says this, "What, what shall we say then? So if this law that leads to death, that leads to condemnation of sin, is the law sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. If there's no law against covetousness, against desiring something you don't have, then you would not know that covetousness is wrong. If you didn't know that there is a law against that, the law helps you to see what's right and what's wrong. Paul was coveting, 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 coveting. He just didn't know it. But when he sees it in the law, all of a sudden, boom, I've been doing that. My heart has been running after objects as if I needed them more than God. You recognize how covetous you really are, and you've been engaging in this thing that leads to death. Imagine, and this is a little hard to imagine, but imagine you've gone through your life smoking cigarettes, completely naive that there's any negative consequences for it. So, you, 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 for all you know, it just tastes good. You're just going about your business. You've never once heard someone say that smoking is bad for you. You've gone through your life doing this way. You, you show up to Kennedy Hospital, you go down, and one of the doctors asks you a question. He says, do you smoke cigarettes? And you answer, yes. And he is feeling probably especially convicted, maybe. I don't know if this is good doctor practice, but what he does, he hears you say that, and he thinks, huh. And he pulls out a picture, and he shows you two pictures. One is of a non-smoker's lungs that are pink, and healthy. The other is of a smoker's lungs, which are black with tar and abused. All your life, you've gone through not knowing at all that this thing is bad for you. In that moment, you've seen a picture of what you really look like on the inside, and you are going to be floored. You are going to be stunned you realize that you've been carrying around death in your lungs and you hadn't even known it. When the law comes and you see who you are, you are convicted of your sin. That's how the law functions. It shows us who we really are. Each and every one of us carries our sin and carries our death inside of us. And when we see what the law of God requires, when we see who God is in the standard of perfection, that sin leads to curse. The wages of sin is death. We see that. We recognize how unrighteous we really are and that we deserve death. So we should cry out with the Apostle Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's where Paul goes in Romans chapter 7. Because of our sin, the law reveals that we need to be delivered. We have a cancer, and we need to be set free. The law, though, cannot save us. 
it cannot make you righteous. It is not for the righteous. You can never be good enough to escape punishment under God's law. You can never be good enough. Some people will ask this question during membership interviews. Try and explain to somebody, okay, why, why, should, I, why should you go to heaven? What, what did you do to allow for you to go to heaven? And if someone says, well, I was a good person. I tried to do my best. I tried to live my best. The reality is no one is good enough for God. No one can live perfectly. Every single one of us is worthy of death. And so we cry with Paul. And this is why we need forgiveness of sins outside of the law. Forgiveness of sins outside of the law. Forgiveness of sins that only comes through Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus, that that Jesus took your smoker's lungs, he took your death, and he died in your place. And he gave you his righteousness, his pure beating Beating? Do lungs beat? His pure lungs. Chris is saying no. Lungs don't beat. His pure lungs so that you can breathe the clean air of heaven. And you stand there before the Father healthy and whole. But it's not yours by your merit. So he's saying your worth is not in what you own or what you did, but in the costly work of Christ at the cross. And Romans 7 leads to Romans 8 where Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. The condemnation of the law drives us to the free grace of the gospel. This is exactly where Paul goes in Romans 7 to Romans 8. And this is exactly where he goes in 1 Timothy 1 as well. Paul recognizes his sin as a blasphemer. If you have your Bible open, you can just look down the page a couple verses. He sees that he was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of Christ. And seeing who he really was, he was able to experience the grace of Christ. The grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The law is not laid down for the righteous but for sinners, but the only way that you will ever experience the beauty of Christ in the gospel is by recognizing yourself as a sinner and that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you think you are righteous on your own, you will never run to Christ. But if you recognize your need for him, you see the beauty of the free grace of the gospel. But the law just doesn't disappear. It doesn't fade away. The law is given to drive us to the gospel. And the gospel is given to empower us to fulfill the law. God is holy, and he delights in his people's holiness. And the gospel of grace and the giving of the Holy Spirit come by faith into our lives so that we Christians, those who are in Christ Jesus, have the spirit-powered ability to fulfill the law. That law that condemns us by faith in Christ, we can fulfill. Listen to all of Romans 8, 
1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Why? Why did he condemn sin in the flesh? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't use the law in order to puff ourselves up and show how great we are. We walk by faith in Christ, keeping God's law and glorifying God, showing how great God is so that the nations would all look on and see what a great and amazing God we have. A God like no other who satisfies us with steadfast love. That's what the law is for. John Stott, the the British evangelical preacher, alludes to Romans 8 in his commentary on 1 Timothy. He says, The moral standards of the gospel do not differ from the moral standards of the law. God does not change. We must not therefore imagine that because we have embraced the gospel, we repudiate, we do away with the law. To be sure, the law is impotent. It's not able to save us. And we have been released from the law's condemnation so that we are no longer under it in that sense. But God sent his son to die for us and now puts his spirit within us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. If you try to keep the law in your own strength, if you try and be a better person than those around you in your own strength, you will only receive the law's condemnation. But if you walk by the Spirit, you will fulfill the law. And this will happen because God will graciously turn us, by His grace, He will turn us into genuinely loving people. So many of us don't love people because we think that we're better than them. We hear people's dirtiness and filth and we look down on them. Rather than hearing people's dirtiness and filth and seeing ourselves in that. When we have the Spirit, we're able to be genuinely turned into a loving person. As Pastor John showed us last week, the goal of true teaching is to create loving people. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And love itself, the Bible says, is a fulfilling of the law. The whole law can be summed up, Paul says in Romans 13, as you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. So as you sit under the true teaching of the law and the gospel and you receive it by faith and you're transformed in your heart to genuinely love those around you, you are fulfilling the law. You're not doing it in your own strength. God's spirit is working in and through you. But you are fulfilling the purpose of the law. Brothers and sisters, see what the law is for. See your sin as it truly is. Don't run away from sin. When you look at ugliness in your life, don't try and cover it up. Stare at it. Because when you stare at your sin, you will recognize the great depth of Christ in the gospel. See your sin and run to Jesus.
and having been cleansed from your sin and empowered by the Spirit, love one another and pursue holiness as you fulfill the law 